America. So far, we haven't spent much time in this series thinking about our friends across the pond, but most people know that in the climate change story, they're a major player. In this program, we're digging in with Suzanne Goldenberg, the Guardian's U.S. environment correspondent. She says that there's two reasons why the U.S. is one of the main protagonists. The first reason... America is a big emitter. It's responsible historically for a huge share of the emissions that cause climate change. And if America isn't in on the deal, if America doesn't cut its own emissions, then the rest of us are doomed. And the second reason. The other aspect is that America is a leader, you know, on the world stage. So if America doesn't signal that it's on board, there's a lot of other countries that won't do their share either. Not too long ago, climate change in America wasn't a political issue. The Republicans and the Democrats both agreed that global warming existed. But now, there's barely a Republican who'll admit it's happening. In case we have forgotten, because we keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record, I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. And that's just from outside here. So here, Mr. President, catch this. The party has effectively adopted that position as policy. Climate denial has become a central pillar of the conservative movement over the last five to 10 years. Now, if you look at the House and the Senate, a majority of Republicans elected to Congress reject the science of climate change or oppose regulations to deal with climate change. So the conservative movement is really in lockstep here on obstructing regulations to deal with climate change. But with 97% of the scientists claiming that man-made climate change is for real, how did it come to this? Uh, I would point out that if you're a believer in the Bible, uh, one would have to say the Great Flood is an example of climate change. And that certainly wasn't because mankind had overdeveloped uh, hydrocarbon energy. There is an ecosystem of denial. It involves think tanks, it involves fake news organizations and fake academics. This entire parallel universe that is financed by industry, either upfront or covertly through anonymous channels and by conservative ideologues. Monster storms, killer drought, famine, rising ocean levels, and melting ice packs. Is mankind about to destroy itself? Or are the facts being buried by bad science? They're really trying to create an atmosphere where people feel that it's impossible to do anything about climate change or that climate change doesn't exist. And that has the effect of putting a break on effective action. You know, it's hard to distinguish between what's true and what's not. Now, much of what you see on TV is great entertainment, but it's fiction. This program, however, is not fiction. And these aren't two-bit organizations either. In fact, one study found that around $1 billion was going to groups who promote climate denial. That just gives you a sense of the scale of money that's involved here. It used to be that you could trace the hand of ExxonMobil and the other big oil companies directly to climate denial. Now a lot of that money is funneled through trusts, enabling that money to become anonymous. So you don't know as clearly whether it's Exxon playing for climate denial or whether it's the big electricity companies paying for climate denial. So although we don't know exactly who is paying for climate denial, we do know that the fossil fuel industry, the electricity companies, the oil, gas, and coal companies, big manufacturing, are financing part of it. 
as well as zealot conservatives. And we know this because they're opposed to any kind of regulation of the economy. So big bucks are being spent. But on what exactly? You know, the m- money's like water. It can flow in, in, all, in all different directions. So, for example, you've got money going to big conservative think tanks. And you've got money going into smaller think tanks, like the Heartland Institute. At the same time, you have money coming from ExxonMobil or, or Southern Company, which is a big electricity provider, that's going to academics who promote climate denial and publish papers. Uh, there's no question about it. Climate change is not happening. There is no significant man-made global warming now. There hasn't been any in the past, and there's no reason to expect any in the future. There's a whole lot of baloney, but the science is on my side. Earlier this year, there was a very celebrated case where an academic at Harvard-Smithsonian revealed that he had got upwards of $1.2 million in funding over the years from industry to produce papers that cast doubt on the science of climate change. But for many people, climate denial isn't really about the science. It's about blocking the policy. And the first thing you can do to block a policy is create doubt about whether that policy is needed at all. Keyword here, doubt. When the tactics for tackling climate change threaten to cost us money and dent our consumptive lifestyles, it's enough to simply cast doubt on the whole idea. The climate denial movement wouldn't be anywhere if it didn't have people who were good messengers who could get out there and promote climate denial in a forceful, convincing way on the airwaves and TV columns all over the place. And to keep spreading this message that what science holds to be true, what most of the governments acknowledge, doesn't really matter. I'm about to meet the man who's been called the king of climate denial. His name is Mark Morano. Now, Morano is a very powerful personality in the whole world of climate denial because of his very good communication skills. He's a very good strategist. He's got an engaging personality on TV. The flip side of this, of course, is that he also likes to fight dirty. He uses inflammatory and provocative language. He's not afraid to try and take down his opponents. And for performing these functions, he's very handsomely compensated. He actually makes more money as a communications chief at his think tank than the head of the entire place. And if you've noticed, I've dialed back, you know. <laughs> I mean, in terms of rhetoric, I try not to use alarmist. I try to, yeah. We're going to talk. I got you. We're okay. rolling. Go for it. Okay, Mark, let's, let's talk about Climate Depot. It's six years old. What, what are you trying to do at Climate Depot? What have you been trying to do in the past? Trying to cause problems put up roadblocks, and general create mayhem uh, in, a, in a strictly political sense. You know, I left the United States Senate, uh, Senate environment. Where you worked po- for Jim Inhofe, for, big climate denier. For Jim, now, come on. Let's start the rules. Are we okay. really going to use the word denier? Can't, can't okay, you say so, dissenter? Ske- uh, I know you don't like skeptic, but let's not go with okay, denier. Okay, so what, when you say you're trying to <laughs> cause mayhem, cause mayhem to obstruct what? We are trying to essentially cause mayhem and obstruction to the entire global warming agenda if you will. And that agenda includes heavy regulations. That's the gist of this. My role, I see it, is coming in 
and trying to upset this apple cart and continuing to upset it because it's not right the way this is played out. It's played out as there's no dissent. So if people who read my site see what the United Nations is saying, what some new study says, and then they'll hear what skeptical scientists say or what other country data says. So they see a huge debate going on. So right off the bat, global warming skeptic sites are much more interesting than another site. Is that sort of one primary function? You want to make people think that there's a debate about the actual science? Yeah, I want people to say, hey, look, you're not getting, not only you're not getting the whole story, you're getting a politically contrived version of climate science that's that's being uh, altered by the United Nations. It's being juiced by the United Nations. It's being juiced by activists from the, from the Michael Manns on down. So it's climate change, man-made climate change. Is that occurring? I think I like Fred Singer's simple explanation that yes there's a greenhouse effect yes mankind has an impact on climate but essentially it's overwhelmed by natural variability in other words you can't distinguish mankind's impact from natural variability when it comes to co2 obviously an environmental impact is much different i think that's the gist of it and i think it's indistinguishable and i think judith curry the climatologist from georgia institute of technology is essentially coming around to that saying how much of the warming since 1950 is man-made and how much is warming going to happen in the next century so from your point of view i mean does climate change you know by 2100 when your children presumably and children's children would there is that is that going to present a danger in terms of extreme weather in terms of possibly effects on food security in terms of sea level rise if you live on coastal areas. Are those things you're concerned about for your kids? Not at all. And here's why. Because A, extreme weather, if you look at a serious look at the studies, first of all, there is no real increase in extreme so is, weather across the board okay. in terms of that. But but even the cooler periods have had more extreme weather. I'm not worried about that. We should be prepared for extreme weather and climate regardless of the cause. That's the first thing. And the best way to be prepared is a strong development and economics. So in other words, the developing world, when you're dealing with a typhoon or... or, or um, hurricanes, even earthquakes, other natural disasters, the best thing to do is have a built-up infrastructure. That's the greatest thing you can do. And one of the best ways and quickest ways to build up infrastructure is through fossil fuels. So in the past, you've uh, called climate science, uh, you've likened it to medieval witchcraft. Yes, absolutely. I do that all the time. I still do that. In fact, I did that in, in Rome last week. What I'm saying there is not, does CO2 have an impact on temperature? Hmm. No. And first of all, it does, but it's, there's hundreds of factors influencing our climate. In the past, uh, you've called for public flogging of climate scientists. That was an expression, and that was one interview. And yes, I said they deserve to be flogged. Now, does that mean you're calling for it? I say they deserve. You know, it was a it was a uh, comment I made, and it's a expression. And you know, look at every other comment I've made. I mean, that's. That's called extreme cherry picking. But yeah, I, I did say that. I said it to Scientific American. In, in, one of in, the, in the past, you've published in, the names, email addresses, sure. and pictures of climate scientists, and they've been subjected to hate mail. Do you think that was justified? Absolutely. They're publicly available email addresses. I proudly posted them. Everyone gets hate mail on this. I'm not telling people, I don't explicitly say, do it. I post an email of either an outrageous claim or a challenge from some scientist, and I post their email. The gist of it is, these scientists for many years, especially leading up to the ClimateGate scandal, which is when I started this, uh, they were essentially feeded by the university, not challenged by students, got great media coverage, and essentially lived in a little academic bubble. Well, I, my thought was, hey, let's let these scientists hear more from the public. I'll do my part. I'll post a publicly available, that's a keyword, of their email address. And yeah, some of them got hundreds a day, but you can read, I can send you comments from some of them who said they got many supporters, maybe equal numbers of supporters, or many supporters, and many of them laughed off their critics. So you get all kinds of stuff when you do that. But it, it was very healthy in the debate. 
I'm proud of it. You're you're proud of absolutely not not proud of anyone getting a death threat. I'm proud of making scientists hear from the public. So, let's talk about what you have called the Church of Global Warming. Yes. So you were in Rome. You were trying to meet the Pope. You were at the Vatican. Well, we were trying to influence the Pope. I don't th- even the even the, uh, other than I believe other than uh, Ban Ki Moon, no one got to meet the Pope who went to that conference. Now, now the Pope, uh, for people who don't know, I mean the Pope. The Pope has expressed concern about climate change and its impact on poverty. He's about to come out with an encyclical yes. uh, on on climate change that'll be in June. That's a, a big moment. Uh, in yes, climate change. Uh, yes. The gist of it is both Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, previous popes, had made similar statements about expressing concern over the environment and even global warming. The difference with this pope is he's only allowing one narrow view. And what I mean by narrow view, the advisors they have are Peter Wadhams, Jeffrey Sachs, Naomi Oreskes. Those three are about as extreme as you get in the global warming establishment. Even NASA's Gavin Schmidt has openly and publicly criticized Peter Wadhams uh, for his charts that have no basis in physics. For the Pope to single out these advisors and then take the extra step of appearing to do all this in a, essentially a lobbying effort for UN climate treaty is unprecedented. So that's why this Pope's different. Different. You've said that the Pope was confusing people. Absolutely. You have American Catholics who are very a la carte Catholic, whether it comes to birth control, abortion, divorce, uh, all, all sorts of range of issues that the church is having trouble keeping their flock in line, if you will. If the Pope then elevates a climate UN climate treaty as though it's some sort of article of doctrine that you know all good Catholics must support and this is important, this is pretty new for a Pope. Were you raised a Catholic? Yes. Do you consider yourself a good Catholic? <laughs> Good Catholic, I think we're all fallen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm a Catholic. I go to church. I try. Yes. So is this a problem for you personally that the Pope has come out in a very clear way on an issue that you're trying to create mayhem for? Well, it's a it's an issue. Obviously, if the Episcopal Church or you know the Muslim Church, it obviously wouldn't have affect me and you know maybe bother me as much personally. But I think what bothers me is not his views on the science; it's his political activism on this and his joining with the UN. I mean, because the UN has a very contrary agenda in many facets when it comes to Catholic doctrine. So is the Pope wrong? He is wrong to join up with the United Nations, absolutely. And yeah, he's he's getting ill-advised on climate science. As I said, he's listening to the most narrow and extreme view you can imagine. He's he's being horribly served by the Vatican bureaucracy. But he's talking about poverty and climate. Do you you know that climate no, change will exacerbate most, poverty? Are no, you okay that's the with most the, perverse you, angle that he's taking. Absolutely the not. Is, the Pope is perverse. That, that political angle is perverse, not the Pope. That, that's the most perverse angle to say you're worried about poverty, so let's solve global warming. The Pope Pope said nature has slapped man in the face. Uh, and I would say that mankind can slap nature back through the use of fossil fuels. The more we can build infrastructure and development, the lower our death tolls come and the more you can handle weather, regardless of the cause. With fossil fuels, infrastructure, development, and wealth, you can weather that storm and essentially laugh at it. Now, Mark, just when, when we came in here, you, you confessed something that I never thought I'd hear you say. You thought... <laughs> Maybe the tide was turning. Well, when I say tide is turning, publicly, global warming skeptics have one public opinion. Among environmental issues, global warming is dead last. Now, political process is different. The difference now, the reason we're in such a global warming skeptics are really facing a huge uphill battle, 
is President Obama's willingness now to pretty much sign, and I say that half tongue-in-cheek but half seriously, pretty much sign anything that's presented to him at the United Nations in Paris. They're going to sign a treaty, no matter what. So are you saying that you have lost? <laughs> no, I'm saying we're facing an uphill battle, and we're facing potential major loss down the road here. And the 2016 election will be critical. It's our tipping point. How about that? It's the skeptics tipping point. Now, I've been one thing I've been wondering is I've been looking at anonymous funding for organizations that promote what I'm going to call climate denial. And uh, your organization has been a big recipient of those funds. I mean, there's millions of dollars coming through. About 40 percent of anonymous donations are for organizations that promote climate denial. Asking what are conservative billionaires and corporations getting for the money that they've spent pouring into uh, groups that fight climate denial? Um, Whoever's funding global warming skepticism, if you will. First of all, it's not so much there. Very few groups are devoted to this. Even the groups that one of the biggest is Heartland. You know, they do a whole range of issues of which climate is usually sometimes not even a once a year conference. Uh, the real question is, why aren't these billionaires? Why is an industry giving, you know, 50, 100 times more than they are if it's so, if you guys think it's so effective and it's so powerful? Do you think it's effective? Should they I, give I, more? I, I think they should. Absolutely. This is what we're faced with here is a a multi hundred billions of dollars environmental establishment, big green for lack of a better word. You look at the budgets of everything from Greenpeace to natural resources defense to environmental defense and compare it to any libertarian conservative skeptical group that doesn't even do climate full time and you get to see the picture. Then you add to that fawning media coverage. You add to that the federal grant money. You add to that the foundation money from left-wing foundations. And by the way, let's not pretend. Everyone gets you know anonymous money. Everyone that tides foundations. Uh, all the, on the left, there's all the similar type of funding that goes to these groups as well. So, But here's the thing. One thing is true and one thing is not, right? Right. Well, that's a separate debate. And that's what you're, you know, now you're on your high horse. I mean, come on. What's true? What's not true? You have a 97 percent consensus that UN lead author Richard Toll says is plucked from thin air. It's nonsense. That's all a politically crafted uh, illusion. And by the way, what would it take for you to accept that climate change is real, is caused by human activity, and it's serious enough, serious enough that it requires big changes in how we run our economy? It would take evidence. And the evidence would have to be, A, their claims coming true, whether it be temperature claims, whether the, you know, you'd, have to, you'd have to believe, first of all, that we're at the hottest in you know, 1,000, 10,000 years that they claim. You'd have to believe that weather, every weather event is now, you know, as Kevin Trenbrith, lead UN author, goes around saying that every weather event is now affected by global warming. Well, that's like saying but everything there... you do, God is everywhere. You know, that's a religious statement because you can't prove or disprove it. It's nonsense. And this is where they've moved. So I would need to see the evidence on storms. You'd need to see the evidence on sea level. Sea level is actually... Uh, showing no acceleration and even some deceleration depending on the time scale. Across the board, not only would I need to see more evidence, I would need to see you know, evidence that's not going in the opposite direction, whether you're talking extreme weather and even temperature. And also, geologic history of the Earth contradicts it. I feature Have you ever scientists. had any doubts? If if you're wrong and if you've devoted your life to creating mayhem, are you at peace with that? Absolutely, because if I'm wrong and we had to rely on the United Nations and the U.S. Congress to save us, we would all be doomed anyway. There's other reasons to try to move away from carbon-based energy looking into the future. 
I believe in technology, and I believe that solar is ready someday, and I believe solar has a much higher potential than wind. Solar, it's just going to happen one day when people are going to make a ton of money off of it, and carbon-based energy is going to be less and less. Look at how coal has started to diminish as fracking technology has blown it out of the water. You don't need central planning to get that technology, which is ultimately what everything they're talking about is all trying to, oh, we need to force this along. You don't need to force it along. There's entrepreneurs out there. There's scientists. There's inventors, people that have major motivations to come up with alternatives to fossil fuel. You said when we came in that you were dialed back some of your hardline tactics. Why, why is that? And that's a very uh, that's Now you're getting into, you're making me a more human person here, um, which I don't like to do in interviews. I like to be, I, like, I want people to hate me. But the gist of it is, you know, years ago, I would say global warming alarmist. I was, you know, I was posting emails a lot more too. The difference now is I think, in order to appeal to people, you can't make it look like our team versus the other team. And it's a growth process as you look at it. So I'm trying now to reach out to appeal to that great middle ground to say, hey, look, here's the situation. Of course, CO2 is, can have an impact on temperature, but is it overwhelmed by the hundreds of other factors? Here's the geologic history of the Earth. I even hear other global warming advocates see how mean and nasty they can come across. And I don't want to be that. You know, even starting this interview, you had to bring up my one citation uh, to Scientific well, American. I can, I can keep going. I'd like to hear some more. There's really <laughs> nothing else like that. That was a, a, a metaphoric thing, which everyone knows You know, that doesn't even happen. So it's not even a real thing. Well, uh, saying the Pope is confusing people isn't exactly that, but metaphorical. That, that's not, that's, no, but that's, that's accurate. I'm not, I'm talking about, I'm talking about partisan campaign tactics, is what I'm talking about. And ultimately, when I hear Ban Ki Moon, when I used to hear Rajendra Pachari, when I hear Al Gore, when you hear much of the media, it's partisan. I'm going to give you some advice too for the UK Guardian because your guys are victim of it. You can't sound like you're a partisan campaign, and that's part of I think why the UN has failed. The fact, despite the fact the UN is highly distrusted, it comes off like it's a partisan campaign bashing the other side. And the same with the news media. That weakens. So you want to try to appeal to the middle. You want to sound reasonable, and you want to give your opponents some ground. And that's that's what I mean by I'm trying to mature. And if you look, I actually there's been a tone change. And I'm not because I'm going soft or anything. It's because I'm trying to be more effective. Okay. I'm going to end it there. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. This All was right. fun. <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring your uh, film crew here. The biggest story oh, in the world is narrated by me, Alex Kutowski. It's produced by Alana Chance, Lindsay Poulton, Matt Hill, Nabila Shabir, Harriet Grant, and Lucy Greenwell. Sound design is by Chris Wood. Okay. Head of audio is Jason Phipps. And the executive producer is Francesca Panetta. Wow, that was hot. Still recovered from walking out. It's going to be like 88 today. Is that I know. due to global warming? You tell me. <laughs>